You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I have a question for you. What will your legacy be? Will you be remembered for your commitment to liberty? Or will you waver at the sight of adversity? Will you hold the line and stand for truth no matter how popular it may be? Or will you bend to peer pressure? Will you let your faults and failures define your story? Or will you overcome your challenges and push forward in pursuit of something greater? Will you stand firm and be a champion of freedom? Or will you let it be said that you did nothing? Throughout our history, ordinary people have risen to the occasion to do extraordinary things in the name of liberty. These people were not perfect, far from it. Yet in spite of their faults and failures, they never looked back. No matter how many times they fell, they continued to get back up. This is their legacy. Because of their commitment, our world is more free. Each and every one of us has the power to follow in their footsteps. It's up to us to pick up that torch. In 1999, the U.S. Mint began to print quarters that would commemorate each state on the back of it. The first state that was minted was Delaware, going in order of their statehood. On it, there is what appears to be a midnight rider on a horse rushing with urgency. Naturally, many assume this to be Paul Revere, the famed rider for Massachusetts warning of impending British troops at the dawn of the American Revolution. But this was Delaware's quarter, so why would someone from Massachusetts be on it? In fact, this was not Paul Revere, but Caesar Rodney on the back of the quarter. While his midnight ride may be overshadowed, it isn't because it lacks importance. Without Caesar Rodney, independence would have failed, and the revolution as a whole would have been much more difficult to overcome. Yet he has been relegated to a footnote in history for the vast majority of the population. Furthermore, Rodney not only saved the day at the 11th hour, but he also did so in spite of his deteriorating health and turbulent weather conditions. Unfortunately, he has recently only come up in conversation in order to further remove him from our historic memory. In 2020, the city of Wilmington removed his statue commemorating his midnight ride in the heat of the Black Lives Matter protests and summer riots. For many, his status as a slave owner should permanently forbid him from public commemoration. But is this a fair assessment? Did his status as a slave owner mean that he approved of slavery? And how did he save independence? This is the story of the most influential founder that you have never heard of. In 1681 and 1682, a man named William Rodney traveled to America alongside William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania. At the time, Delaware was part of the Pennsylvania colony, 
In 1701, however, William Penn and the people of Delaware reached an agreement of separation, making two distinct, independent legislative bodies, but sharing one governor. William Rodney joined the assembly of the lower counties of Delaware shortly thereafter and even became speaker in 1704. Eventually, William would establish a strong family name in Delaware, and his grandson, Caesar Rodney, would go on to play an instrumental role in the American Revolution. Caesar was born on October 7, 1728, in Kent County, Delaware. Rodney was plagued with hardships from very early on. He struggled with asthma throughout his life. When he became a teenager, he received somewhat of a formal education at the College of Philadelphia, but that abruptly ended when he was 17, once his father passed away, also named Caesar. Certainly, hardships in the 18th century were all too common, but Caesar Rodney still managed to keep an upbeat attitude throughout his life. His younger brother Thomas once commented that he had, quote, great fund of wit and humor of the pleasing kind, so that his conversation was always bright and strong and conducted by wisdom. The difficulties in his early life gave him a sense of strength and resilience that few others, then or today, possess. Both the hardships and the resilience he obtained throughout his life stretched into his love life as well. Caesar was very well versed with the ladies in his area, but finding an actual partner was becoming more and more difficult as time went on. He experienced many lovers and many flames, but for one reason or another, he remained a bachelor throughout his life. While this likely made it difficult at many points of his life, his lack of romantic attachment likely made his revolutionary actions later in life that much easier to commit to. One area that Caesar managed to have a healthy amount of success in, however, was his political career. He, like his father and grandfather before him, became involved in the community and colonial politics almost as soon as he became an adult. Shortly after his father's death, his interest and involvement in politics consumed his life. By the age of 27, he was appointed to sheriff of Kent County in 1755. This position could be held for a maximum of three years, but it was a powerful position to hold. He was essentially the commanding authority in the county, and it set young Rodney up for a very long and successful political career. His time as sheriff allowed him to make a name for himself and establish his reputation as an honest man, committed to the well-being of his community. When his three years expired in 1758, he was elected to the Colonial Assembly as a delegate for Kent County. His early and lengthy public service made Caesar acutely aware of the driving issues that concerned the colonists. Like many other regions of America, the people of Delaware were increasingly worried about how the Crown and Parliament were treating them while denying them representation. And, like many other regions of America, there arose two driving political factions, those who wished to reconcile and those who wished to separate. In Delaware, these factions were known as the Court Party, who wished to reconcile, and the Country Party, who sought independence. 
Delaware was more evenly divided than other colonies like Massachusetts and Virginia were. Whereas the majority in those regions strongly favored separation, the court party actually dominated Delaware. Granted, it was only by a slim margin. While his personal and family background should have aligned him with the court party, Caesar Rodney could not deny the abuses of authority by Great Britain, and increasingly aligned himself with the country party, and thus with the greater independence movement growing across America. In 1762, Rodney was made acquaintance with a key ally whose friendship would prove vital in the coming years. He was appointed as assistant to Thomas McKean. The two were to revise and publish the provincial laws. Rodney found himself in agreement with much of what McKean believed, including what to do with regard with Great Britain. Though if there were any hesitation to support separation by the time that he had met McKean, that would soon no longer be the case. In 1765, the Stamp Act passed Parliament, and it set the colonies ablaze. Mass protests broke out in places like Massachusetts and Virginia. In Delaware, the country party had probably their greatest argument yet just laid at their feet. In October of that year, delegates from several colonies met for the first time in a Congress in New York to discuss the issues of British taxation. Rodney joined Thomas McKean to attend the Congress and stood in agreement that Parliament had no right to impose such a direct tax on the colonies like this. Through this stamp Congress, Caesar Rodney emerged as a leader, not to the people of Delaware, but as a champion of the Patriot cause across America. As he returned to Delaware from the stamp Congress, his influence in the assembly was as powerful as ever influence that he had no intention of wasting. Over the next several years, he introduced several bold bills, including a ban on the importation of slaves into Delaware. This was a battle that would continue over the next decade. He also continued his grandfather's legacy as he, too, became Speaker of the Assembly. In 1769, he started to wear multiple hats. He was appointed to the Delaware Superior Court while remaining in the Assembly. As anti-British sentiments rose in America, the country party eventually became the majority, but Delaware remained divided on the issue of independence. After the Boston Tea Party, the First Continental Congress met in Philadelphia to discuss what should be done with the British. Caesar Rodney and Thomas McKean were both selected once again to represent Delaware. The two were joined by George Reed, making a delegation of three. However, Reed was not on the same page as the other two with regard to his opinion of Great Britain. Reed favored reconciliation and thought it would be best if the American colonies remained with the mother country. He knew that there were clear and apparent issues that needed to be fixed. Nobody could deny this. He also knew that colonists were treated as second-class citizens, expected to foot the bill for Great Britain's messy entanglement. But none of these issues, he believed, warranted separation. He supported boycotts, petitions, and even supported many of the protests breaking out throughout the colonies. But... 
Like John Dickinson of Pennsylvania, Reed believed that independence must be an option of last resort, and in his mind, that resort was not yet reached. In 1775, Congress made a last-ditch effort to salvage relations between the colonies and the crown. War had already broken out in April, but many, like Reed and Dickinson, still believed some form of peaceful reconciliation was possible. They passed the Olive Branch Petition in July 1775, which assured King George III that they most ardently desire the former harmony between her and these colonies may be restored, and begged the king to stop Parliament from violating the rights of the colonists. They pleaded that, quote, royal authority and influence may be graciously interposed to procure us relief. To many in the colonies, the king was not abusing their rights, rather Parliament was. Several still viewed the king as their lifeline to freedom, the final line of protection from a tyrannical legislature. Others knew better than to believe this, and it didn't take long for the king to reveal his position on the American rebellion. King George refused to even look at the petition, and refused to grace them with a proper response. Instead, the king issued a proclamation that was more than enough to let Congress know where he stood. When Congress got a hold of a proclamation for suppressing rebellion and sedition, they were decisively charged with, quote, traitorously preparing, ordering, and levying war against us. Furthermore, all loyal subjects of the king, military, or civilian are to, quote, use their utmost endeavors to withstand and suppress such rebellion, and to disclose and make known all treasons and traitorous conspiracies which they shall know to be against us, our crown and dignity. A heavy weight was placed on the shoulders of each and every member of Congress. Should their efforts fail, no matter the end goal, it could mean their lives were at stake. Still, Reed and Dickinson believed strongly that there remained an avenue for restored relations. As the debate raged on from 1775 into 1776, Caesar Rodney had split his time between the Continental Congress and the Assembly of the Lower Counties of Delaware, where he was Speaker at the time. In both bodies, talk of independence dominated the debates. Support for independence was strong in the assembly, but so was support for the crown. Over several months, Caesar Rodney and Tom McKean led the charge in the assembly for Delaware to not only declare independence from Great Britain, but also from Pennsylvania. Finally, on June 15, 1776, with Caesar Rodney as Speaker of the Assembly, they declared their independence, and the state of Delaware was born. With that victory, it was now time to secure the same fate in Congress. As McKean returned to Philadelphia, Rodney was pulled away to deal with a Loyalist riot, since he was also a Brigadier General in the Delaware Militia at the time. Many in Sussex County, a Loyalist-populated area, didn't take kindly to the Assembly's decision to separate, and Rodney needed to keep the peace. This could not have come at a worse time. As McKean returned to Philadelphia, the debate continued to rage on. 
Support for separation was clearly in the majority opinion, but the majority did not matter. If one state voted no, the whole resolution would have been sunk. Many backroom negotiations were in the works. As July approached, McKean discovered that George Reed was planning on voting no, and had no intentions of changing his mind. McKean immediately knew the ramifications of this. Without Caesar Rodney there to break the tie, independence would be doomed. On June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia offered the following resolution for debate to the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. John Adams of Massachusetts immediately seconded the motion, and independence was officially on the floor for discussion. This required time for everyone to get their house in order. If one person misstepped or a holdout remained by the time of the vote, the resolution and independence was doomed. Congress went into recess after the resolution was offered for the rest of the month. For John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, this gave them time to draft a declaration of independence in the event that the motion carried. Benjamin Franklin joined them and also offered his diplomatic skills to help negotiate with the holdouts. Caesar Rodney, however, had other matters to attend to in Delaware. He left Philadelphia to lead the lower counties toward independence, no matter the outcome of Congress. As we have already seen, this effort succeeded one week later on June 15, 1776. Yet back in Philadelphia, things were not so simple. John Dickinson of Pennsylvania had been making a passionate plea to maintain relations with Great Britain a plea that did not fall on deaf ears. Although the majority certainly supported the separation, Dickinson rallied enough to his side to potentially derail the entire effort. New York, which enjoyed its commercial relations with Great Britain, was in no rush towards independence. South Carolina agreed with Dickinson that separation was too premature. Additionally, they had no intention of tying independence to the elimination of slavery, as was the desire of Thomas Jefferson and so many others. That's three states that Adams had to worry about derailing the motion. Delaware, however, seemed secure. McKean and Rodney both supported separation, and it didn't really matter if George Reed did or not because he was outvoted two to one. July 1st arrived, 
and in order to see where everyone stood, they held an unofficial vote. As they went through the roll call, only nine colonies voted yay. It wasn't enough. Yet perhaps the most frightening revelation was that George Reed had decided to vote against the motion. Delaware was now evenly split. One by one, Adams, Franklin, and the supporters of independence worked to negotiate with the holdouts. New York was simple enough to convince with the scapegoat. They had yet to receive any instruction from their state assembly, so rather than vote against the resolution, simply abstain. This was a much easier pill to swallow than voting in favor. South Carolina was able to be convinced, but wanted to be assured that there would be unanimous support. That left John Dickinson and George Reed. For Dickinson, to change course at this point would likely cause him a huge blow to his reputation. Not to mention, it would force him to violate his conscience, which wholeheartedly believed that separation was not yet necessary. Yet, he wasn't blind. He knew what kind of oppression the British were imposing on the colonists. He knew how strong the independence movement had become at that point in time. He would never be convinced to vote for independence, as both he and his opponents knew all too well. However, asking him not to interfere was another matter altogether. John Dickinson opted to sit out the vote for independence, and instead sign up for the Pennsylvania militia, fully prepared to fight for his countrymen. George Reed, however, would not be so easily convinced. After the mock vote on July 1st, Thomas McKean knew Caesar Rodney was now the only one to save independence. A courier was sent to Delaware to inform Rodney of the deadlock, and that he was required in Philadelphia at once to secure the vote for independence. Certainly, important matters had kept him away in the first place. The Loyalist riot required his services to keep the peace in the new state. But nothing was more important at that moment than the vote for independence. Upon learning of the deadlock, he leaped upon his horse and immediately rushed to Philadelphia. This was no small task. Philadelphia was over 80 miles away, and the vote was the next day. He would not be able to rest until he arrived and cast his vote. Several conditions made matters that much more difficult. First of all, a severe thunderstorm intercepted him during his midnight ride. Nonetheless, Caesar Rodney pushed through the heavy rain and lightning. In addition to asthma that plagued him throughout his life, Rodney had recently been suffering from face cancer, which disfigured and weakened him severely. In fact, his tumor would become so noticeable that he would almost always be seen with a green scarf covering his deformities. John Adams noted when he first encountered Rodney that he is, quote, the oddest-looking man in the world. He is tall, thin, and slender as a reed, pale. His face is no bigger than a large apple. Yet there is a sense and fire, spirit, wit, and humor in his countenance. That fiery spirit that John noticed in 1774 was now the only thing that could save independence. For 18 hours, Rodney tirelessly traveled from Delaware to Philadelphia, only stopping for necessity and emergency. 
Worry and anticipation loomed over the heads of John Adams, who had probably done the most to organize this movement, and Thomas Bikine, who needed Rodney on his side. Finally, the drenched, ill, and weakened Caesar Rodney arrived at Independence Hall on July 2nd, and just in the nick of time, McCain recalled meeting Rodney, quote, in his boots and spurs. The voting commenced, and the matter was settled. Delaware, and by extension America, declared independence from Great Britain forevermore. He later recounted his legendary ride in a letter to his brother Thomas, stating, quote, I arrived in Congress, though detained by thunder and rain, time enough to give my voice in the matter of independence. We have now got through the whole of the Declaration and ordered it to be printed, so that you will soon have the pleasure of seeing it. Although Rodney and McKean voted for independence, the entire Delaware delegation, including George Reed, signed the Declaration of Independence eventually. This made Reed the only signer who himself voted against the motion. Despite Rodney's Herculean effort to save the independence vote, his heroics were not rewarded back home. Rodney still had to be held accountable by a very loyalist constituency who wasn't all too happy with his actions in 1776. He was not voted to return to Congress, He lost his bid for the state's constitutional convention, and he wasn't supported in the effort to return to the state legislature. Still, this did not discourage him from devoting more time and energy to the cause. Delaware was a hotbed for British bombardment. The state's location made it easy for the British to invade and occupy portions of land, specifically in the north. Pro-British sentiment in Delaware also made it more dangerous to be fighting for the Patriot cause than in most places. Rodney served militarily to address both of these issues. At General Washington's request, he helped to keep the British at bay and kept Delaware from falling. Loyalist activities never truly went away throughout the war in Delaware. However, as it continued, an increasing number of individuals aligned themselves with the Patriots over the British. This gave way to Rodney's return to politics toward the end of 1777. The first state assembly under their new constitution reinstated both Rodney and McKean in Congress. Then, in March of 1778, Rodney was elected as president of Delaware, the term that was used for governor for a three-year term. Most significantly during his tenure was the Black Camp Rebellion of 1780. In July of that year, a group of loyalists had planned an insurrection where they had set up camps across the state to organize a militia and take over the government. The largest of these camps was located in the Black Swamp, hence the rebellion's name. Rodney and state officials quickly got wind of this planned insurrection, however. They were not as trained as they believed themselves to be and were quickly overtaken. The threat was completely averted by early August. Around 200 insurrectionists were detained and dozens were found guilty of treason, receiving a death sentence. However, the assembly pardoned all involved and no executions were actually carried out. 
Additionally, after the adoption of the Articles of Confederation, Caesar Rodney was elected to the Confederation Congress in 1782. But at this point, his health was severely inhibiting his ability to contribute much more to the cause. As the War for Independence drew to a close in 1781, Caesar Rodney managed to witness the new American nation secure her independence after the Battle of Yorktown. He had given so much to fight for America, but now he was unable to give much at all. Despite his election to Congress and the State Assembly, he was never able to serve. He was far too frail and ill to do any more public service. In 1783, the British and the Americans negotiated and signed the Treaty of Paris, putting a formal end to any and all hostilities between the two countries. The following year, in June of 1784, Caesar Rodney died, and his body was buried in his family's plantation that he was born and grew up on. The heroic actions of Caesar Rodney during the American Revolution and the crucial role he played in securing independence make it baffling that he isn't more of a household name. His midnight ride is always overshadowed by that of Paul Revere's, despite Rodney being just as crucial. In 2020, however, he did in fact make some headlines. But this was for reasons far from his heroic deeds in 1776. As the Black Lives Matter protests swept the nation throughout the summer, Many difficult discussions were thrust into the front of the national conversation. Aside from issues of police brutality and treatment of the black community in modern society, debates inevitably returned to what statues should be struck down and which of those should be left untouched. In Wilmington, Delaware, the mayor announced that they would be removing a statue of Caesar Rodney during his historic midnight ride in Rodney Square. Because he was a slave owner, like many of the Founding Fathers, calls for the removal of his statue were amplified in the wake of the protests and riots. On June 12, 2020, the statue was brought down as protesters nearby flung obscenities in the process. Of course, this doesn't remove his legacy, either as a slave owner or as the hero of independence. But as we have seen with the other signers in this season, context is crucial when discussing the relationship the founders had with slavery. While Rodney did own slaves, he spoke out against the institution and fought for its abolition. Furthermore, as he aged, he worked to eliminate his personal relationship with the institution. As this issue commenced in his mind increasingly in later years, he saw to it that his estimated 200 slaves would be freed immediately or gradually upon his death. For Rodney, like many founding fathers in his day, the question was not if the institution of slavery should end, but how it should end and when. This was a question they struggled with, both privately and publicly. In the 18th century, there was no clear or easy answer at the time, as even when black people were emancipated, they were hardly considered free within society. Yet despite the complexity of the issue, Caesar Rodney never stopped in his service to make a freer world. Whether the issue was slavery, America's independence, 
or Delaware's sovereignty, Rodney's life was always defined by an unrelenting call to duty and service. The man who rescued independence provided us all with a lesson in how to be a hero. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to this week's edition of Profiles in Liberty. Uh, this was an episode that I really enjoyed writing. It uh, has a lot of characteristics of a really great uh, and heroic action story uh, about one of the most underrated founding fathers. So I hope that you enjoyed learning and hearing about Caesar Rodney. Uh, next week is going to be the season finale of season one of Profiles in Liberty, and we are going to be going over a man that I really gained a lot of respect for uh, in the process of making this season, and this is probably one of my favorite episodes that I have made on George Wythe. This is who I'm calling the godfather of the Founding Fathers, the mentor to so many of those who went on to make this nation. I hope you tune in for that. Be sure to listen to the rest of the season of Profiles in Liberty and share it around with all your friends and family. If you don't mind, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review. You can also follow me on Twitter at Caleb Franz. You can follow We Are Libertarians on Twitter as well at We, the letter R, Libertarians. And until next week, this has been Caleb Franz with Profiles in Liberty.